speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's lovely to be here today and to welcome all of you. Um, I want to kind of just give you, first of all, the rationale behind why I put the seat no. like this. Um, it's not because I want to particularly to face these people, though. The reason I've done it is because I'm conscious that when we have the other way around, if you came late, that's we can't get a seat on this side of the thing. Whereas if you come later this week, you can sleep in the back and nobody notices. And it's quite all right. Okay. So, here is my text that we're going on today from our reading of Revelation. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God, saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests, serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Lord, open in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, can I just ask you all a question? How many of you watch box sets or a series on the TV? How many of you watch a box set on Netflix or uh, Prime or something like that? How many of you like a box set? How many of you can just watch one episode at a time? No, oh, no, no, quite no. hard, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I have to confess at the moment, I'm watching The Traitors. How many of you are watching The Traitors? I'm enjoying The Traitors enormously. And uh, I'm, I'm waiting for Paul to come up and say that's not But I'm enjoying The Traitors at the moment. And, but the problem is that I, I tend to not be able to just watch one episode at a time. And the same can be true of a sermon series, is it's very hard just to hear one uh, bit of the sermon series and just stop there because you want to skip past the rewind, don't you? And you want to get the next episode. Well, hopefully you do. Well, I'm afraid you can't do that. Although I am thinking about maybe in the future you can do some kind of podcast kind of thing whereby you get 10 minutes on a Sunday, but during the week you get a bit more if you want to. You know, so you can open up the subject and discuss a bit more uh, on the podcast. It's just a thought I've got running around my brain and it's got no further than the front. Uh oh, my I have lived a very blessed life. Now, there's been times where I've gone through quite significant testing and trial and problems with my health, all those sort of things that happen to all of us. But one of the blessings that I've received in my life is that I have visited over. 25 countries of the 195 countries that we have in the world. I've managed to visit every single continent apart from Australia, and I've got my father, is, but nonetheless, he was a naval officer, and he gave me a great love of travel, a great love of travel. And he, whenever we had a holiday, we were going to go and see some country or another in Europe. And um, I've got certain memories etched in my mind. He uh, was sent to a station in Hong Kong. So in 11 years old, I used that to get myself to the airport, get myself on a BOAC. Any of you remember BOAC? A BOAC BC pen. And I died too terrified. And we'd stop off at Rome, Bahrain, usually Delhi or Bangkok, and Hong Kong. And every time I got off the plane, 
I was confronted with a culture completely different to my own. But I will never forget the first time I arrived at Kaitak Airport. Now, I'm not supposed to anyone ever been to Kaitak Airport. It's not there anymore. Basically, what they did in Hong Kong is they didn't have flat land, everything's on a mountain. And so what they did is they built a runway out into the sea. And when you came in, you were coming in with the tower blocks all around you. It was absolutely terrifying. So I can remember being 11 years old, uh, landing at Kaitak Airport, thanking God that I'm still alive at 11, and uh, getting out of the airport, and suddenly, suddenly, I was completely confronted by what looked like thousands upon thousands and thousands of Chinese faces. And very often when you're very little, everyone looks the same, don't they? And I went out, I went, well, 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 and I remember just being really quite panicked because I then I was very different to everybody else. There was me, this little lad of 11 years old, quite short, and at the time I was quite weedy and scrawny in the shorts and the pull-up socks and looking very Western compared to everybody who looked very Chinese around me. And it was probably there that I began to get a love for places like here, like Norman. And I began to realise, because while I was there, um, my mum and dad were working on the And uh, we used to have someone called Fong, who used to come and look after them. And Fong was one of the most loving women I'd ever known in my life. And she used to really look after me, really care for me. And I could see that she wasn't just there to work, she was there to care And I learned that people from different tribes, tongues and nations actually you know what, there's only one race, the human race. And that actually, different is good. I've learned there that different is good. Now, in our New Testament passage this morning, in Revelation, we are looking at an interesting piece of writing, unique in the New Testament. Because in it, what we are reading is what's called allegorical, which is a bit of a mouthful if you have to be properly. But what it means is this, is that John in the first century, which is when it was written, is using the language and picture language of his time to explain a mysterious event that he had seen, a series of visions. Now, very often what we try to do is we try to take something and it's all about what's going Everything up to chapter 21 happens then. Everything after chapter 21 is yet to happen. Okay, so if you do it that way, then you don't get yourself into too much of a problem. And very often he is using almost like cartoon language to explain it. And it was when we got to the fourth century, okay, exact date, that they decided the church needed to put together what are the books we consider to be the Holy Bible. We are going to make it into the Holy Bible. And there was a lot of discussion around the book of Revelation. Because to get into the New Testament, you had to have been a witness to the resurrection. If you weren't a witness to the resurrection, you didn't get to get your writing, didn't get to be in the Bible. Okay? That's the first thing. Secondly, there needs to be those alive who had known the Jesus. Now, because it was written by the Apostle John, 
But because the writing was so different to anything that you would read in the fourth century, it almost didn't make it into the Bible. So there was something about it. But the reason it did was because it made a very good for someone who buys a game. Okay? So from the book of Genesis, the book of Revelation made a very good book and a very good time and a very good thing to say. And that's it. We're not adding any more to this particular And what we see at the end of the book of Revelation is this is the final page of creation. Where all things are summed up in Christ. And the rich tapestry of creation is held eternally in the love of God. Okay, so I'm going to say something that some of you may mean to some of you. Heaven is not the end. Heaven is only temporary. The end, if you read the book, is a physical planet. A world, a series of worlds. In fact, this week, I don't know if you've been reading the news, but there has been a whole new series of galaxies they've just discovered. A whole new thing, and it's, and it's thrown everything they thought they knew about the universe into kilter. But they've discovered that, oh gosh, things that shouldn't be are there. We're constantly discovering new things about the world that we're having. Now, this season, we're in the season of happiness, and here we see the story of these characters called the Magic. Now, I've been to both the Gospels and Ascendants for a business, and I've asked all the children if there are any Zoroastrians present. Do you want to just check any out Zoroastrians here today? No, 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 no. Well, do you know who the Zoroastrians are? Have you heard of the Zoroastrians? The ones who've gone with you, you're not going to cover it in an RE series. There's only 200,000 of them left in the world, and most of them are found in Northern Iraq and Northern Iran. And they are a very ancient religion, possibly go back, you know, way back to about, they reckon probably back in the town of BC. There's not many of them left, there's only 200,000. Most of them have gone to the fourth and third uh, to Islam. But the point I'm making about them is these people that we have got here in our Christmas are from another religion. From a different religion. So you've got a couple of Jews and some people from another religion worshipping Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment because that has something to say about it. Now it's possible that they had read the writings of the prophet Isaiah or probably came into contact with these writings through the Jews during the exile. But we don't know. What we know is that they followed a star. But what we do know is that they came and worshipped Jesus. Different religion, but they came and worshipped Jesus. And what I want to say about the season of epiphany is this, and why I've chosen this series, the beauty of difference is this. Is that epiphany was the moment where following the incarnation, the God of the Jews knew as Yahweh went global. 
think there was a major change. But where in the past, if you wanted to worship Yahweh, you had to become a Jew. From this moment, actually, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, etc., etc., were included in Christ. Now, one of the things I love about Norton and the place where we live is there is such diversity. But the thing is this, is in our diversity, we all like to be tribal. I, I've already began to notice that if you are from Ghana, you kind of get to know one another in the church, or if you're from here or you're from there, you kind of like to hang out with one another. Whenever I talk to people from French speaking Africa, I say, Oh, goody, opportunity for me to practice my French. We like to be tribal. Human beings do that. And we do that because what we look for is we look for those who are like us. Really, we look for those who are like us. And Dr. Sartre is correct. He says, I think, therefore, I am. But actually, when I see you, I am looking for my reflection in you. And that can be really problematic. Because if you came from, say, for example, Rwanda, you know what tribalism can do. If you are, I am English and you are French, you know what tribalism is in Jews. You think you've had wars in Africa? We had a hundred of them. hundred years of them with the French. For one hundred years, we went to war with the French. We're having it now. We're seeing a war between, uh, between the West, whatever you want to think about it, between the West and this one is still going on. We like to back our tribe and we assume always that our tribe is correct. Now, when we open the scriptures, our Bible, particularly the Old Testament, we need to always keep in our mind that this is the story of a tribe of people, like 12 tribes. This is the story of tribes, 12 tribes, that came from one person, and it is their history of going with God. Now, in the incarnation of God coming as the person of Jesus, and in the epiphany, Something very different is beginning to happen because it is a new creation. So what does this say about how we should read the Bible? Because we must have some honesty about the Christian or any other scriptures that are out there. Now the Christian tribe recognises the 66 books of the Bible as the Word of God. 39 books of the Jewish Old Testament, the 46 of your Roman Catholic. 27 in the New Testament. This is our, what you have possibly sat next to you, is your, our tribal history of God's work in the world. Across the road, there they have a thing called the Guru Brahmani. Uh, That's their story. Go further down, uh, up the road to the corner of Corbin Street, and there is the Quran. Turn the right into Pear Tree Road, and there is the Venus and the Bhagavadita. What I'm trying to say to you is this, is that each and every tribe looks to and puts together 
loudest of books telling their tribal history of what they perceive and they believe that God is love. And what tends to happen is this, is that tribes use these scriptures, are you with me, to beat one another up with, or even worse, use their scriptures as a means by which of beating those of other tribes. Now, I am not for one second denying the truth of the Bible. Okay? What I'm saying is how we use the Bible. How we use the Bible, at times we can use it as an instrument with which to beat people with. And most religions, I've discovered, is this, have the capacity to use God mainly for human purposes. Now, I'm a Christian because in the person of Jesus Christ, I see the Holy Spirit, the Bible, translated into Christ. I'll say that again. I'm a Christian because in the person of Jesus Christ I see this holy book translated into love. Now here's the thing. What do we do when we see those from another religion living and acting in the way of love? It's a bit scary, I know. Okay. But what do we do when we meet the Muslim who is very loving? What do we do when we meet the Hindu who loves? What do we do when we meet the Sikh who is loving and generous and appears to, what about the Indian, who appears to act in the way that Jesus would have us act? What do we do with that as Christians? We recognize it for what it is. And we celebrate the difference there. They too have had this revelation that God is love. That doesn't mean we have to accept their teaching. No, it doesn't mean that. Do we have to accept what's bad? No, we don't. But what we do need to do is acknowledge when we see love in action, when we see love coming from others, we need to do that. The thing I want to say is this. And here I'm drawing from the Francis. Is that he said, he said these, these words, creation is the first Bible. Now, we know the Bible teaches us that. Heavens declare the glory of God and all of the earth is singing his praise. But before anyone had any sacred books, we had the creation to teach us what God is like. How many of you, when you go for a nice walk in the country, you go to somewhere beautiful, it's almost as if you're having a spiritual experience. How many of you feel that? It's like, oh wow, this is almost divine. There's something about the creation itself where you can feel and sense the divine in it. Now, the 20th century scholar, Pia Tayyana Shalom, she said this, the very essence of the universe was love. And that because love, because of the way that love yeah, is, it is constantly evolving towards an indeterminate point in the future where all things will be summed up in Christ. In other words, this theologian was completely agreeing with the cosmologists who say that 13.8 billion years ago, the love of God created everything. 
In the mind of God, searching for being needed, he made her to be loved and to love others. Isn't that amazing? And how great it is. And the Apostle John says, simply, in the beginning, the Word was God, and the Word was God, and out of the loving essence of the Trinity, in a point of history, we call that time, love became matter. God spoke, love spoke, change the words, love spoke, seas came into being, earth came into being, plants came into being, stars came into being, fish came into being, and pouring was in the mind of God all that time ago when this was made. So, what are we to make of man? Now there are three views of Christian in relation to matter. Three views. And I'm going to finish on this. Okay? Three views. The first view, and you can see it a lot on Christian TV. They see it as evil, transitory, and matter exists purely for human exploitation. And most human or humankind today is behaving in that way towards our world and everything that exists upon it. It's here for us. We're the pinnacle of creation. We can see what we want it. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to really matter that much because God's going to rip us with it. Okay, that's one narrative. It's a recent narrative. It's only been around since the 19th century. But it is a narrative that's alive and well out there. And you will find it all the and I don't think it's very satisfying. The second one is one that is held by a lot of people. Okay, a lot of Christians. Is that matter sits apart from God. God made it and we Are you with me? And this sometimes we call this deism. But God made it and then let it be. And in this story, God is going to rescue some of humankind out of it, but the rest of it will be ultimately destroyed. Matter is bad, because matter is still bad, but because God made it and we need it, we better look after it. It's a bit like your try and bite when you You know, you need to look after it. And that's often to be our views of how we view the creation or a spiritual model. And most humans hold to that model. Now I want to hold that there's a third, okay, and in my opinion, a better model. And I want to go back to where I notice you are all nodding about that war in the country. You've probably got somewhere around here where when you go for a war, it's like you connect with God. And there's a reason you do that. It's because actually you are in your right place in the creation. You are in it you are connected to it, and it is all around you. And something inside of you goes, this is where I am meant to be. This is the stuff of which I am made. Because it's not the future. And it's to do the creation has its source and life from the divine. Now it's other than divine, it's we're not saying it's the truth. But we are saying that its ongoing life comes to us from the Godhead. Make glory and hope for any of you, but I think you've never seen somebody die. 